0: Hi, I'm Maena Karaman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. This week, hundreds of First Nations chiefs and members have gathered for the annual General Assembly of the AFN, the Assembly of First Nations. The AFN Assembly tackles a lot of issues, but this year they were dealing with something else as well. Roseanne Archibald is the National Chief of the AFN. She was elected last year and is the first woman to hold the position. But then last month, she was suspended as National Chief. And her suspension was a prominent issue at this latest General Assembly.
1: There will be a lot that will be discussed later. And I won't touch on any of those things right now. Because this is about welcoming you and thanking you for being here. CBC
0: News reported last month that four staff members had accused her of bullying and harassment. Archibald released a statement accusing the staff members of trying to get payouts. Then she was suspended pending an investigation. This isn't the first time Roseanne Archibald has been accused of bullying and harassment, but she
1: says this whole thing is a smear campaign. The reason we're here today and the reason I'm giving this speech is because I refused to give $1 million plus to staff in a staff payout. I refused. I knew it was wrong.
0: Archibald is, in turn, accusing the AFN of corruption and trying to silence her. She's calling for a forensic audit, looking into the finances of the AFN. In the end, First Nations leaders voted against the suspension, which means she's still National Chief. But this whole situation threatens to overshadow the work that the AFN is doing.
2: That, I think, is evidence of where the AFN is at the moment, in that it's really ensconced in this political battle between the regional chiefs and the national chief over power. And it's not talking about or not present for the issues of youth, the issues of suicide, the issues of trauma and crisis that are going on in First Nations.
0: Nigon Sinclair is a professor and acting head of the Department of Indigenous Studies at the University of Manitoba. He's also a columnist with the Winnipeg Free Press. He's here to tell us about the work the AFN does, what this moment means for that work, And what role the AFN has and should have in advocating for First Nations people. This is The Decibel. Nigan, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Yeah, miigwech. Thanks for having me.
0: Watching these meetings this week and watching everything that's been happening, what's been going through your mind?
2: Uh, this is the biggest crisis that the organization has faced in the entirety of its 40-year and frankly around 60-year existence Uh, it was previously the national indian brotherhood which was a corporation established back in the 1970s for the most part to uh, resist the Pierre Trudeau's White Paper, which was seeking to end treaties, erase indigenous treaty rights from the map, and then encapsulate indigenous peoples into the provinces. Now, back then, uh, indigenous peoples were rather uniford, unified Sorry, in uh, the resistance to the federal government policy, which was a radical change back then, still would be a radical change today. And in the 1980s, uh, the AFN was successful in achieving constitutional inclusion of Indigenous and and treaty rights in the Constitution, Section 35. Mm. So it was very successful in terms of resisting policy. But for the past few decades, it's really been uh, in an ongoing fight uh, to sort of figure out what is its identity? What does it look like to unify. And what you saw this past day, this past 24 hours, has just been a colossal civil war within the AFN around really what is the work that's necessary to do. Uh, and then, of course, the issues around corruption and allegations that the National Chief has brought to light involving the, uh, the reign of the previous National Chief, Perry Bellegarde.
0: Hmm. Okay, so there seems to be kind of, as you say, kind of like a civil war, some some infighting that's going on here. And I, I do want to kind of dive into that a little bit. But maybe just before we do, I just want to take a step back. Can you help us understand what the AFN actually does, Nigan? Like, what does it do?
2: Yeah, well, the AFN... Uh, is a lobby group Uh, they are a spokesperson group uh, on behalf of 630 i always say 630 plus because you know every every few years a few first nations will drop out a few will join back and etc and so uh, the AFN is kind of an optional choice uh, organization for many First Nations in which they uh, want to seek a national chief, a spokesperson or a, a body like the Assembly of First Nations to advocate on their behalf. And it isn't unlike many other regional chiefs organization for, in Manitoba, for example, we have three of them. We have one for the Southern Chiefs, for the Northern Chiefs, and then we have a large provincial body called the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. And so this is like a chief's organization to advocate for particular issues. So it's really valuable on certain issues, like, for instance, child welfare, you know, negotiating the recent mm-hmm. settlement for the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal on the discrimination of First Nations children on reserves. The reason that we had the TRC, for example, was because of the AFN, because of Phil Fontaine and the AFN, who advocated and carried forward the views of survivors and was able to advocate in court for that, as well as in the court settlement called the Residential School Settlement Agreement. So the AFN is very useful, but it's mostly useful in terms of a body representing First Nations interest in relation to the government. So that tells you that When it comes to small scale issues like pipelines, for example, the AFN is not useful uh, because that is involving treaty rights and indigenous rights, which is held by individual First Nations. Uh, The AFN cannot speak on behalf of First Nations in terms of rights, but can do so in such a way to organize or, or advocate for certain settlement agreements or program delivery you know, offering certain things like education programs or language programs or cultural programs or, or you know, helping on uh, issues involving murder, missing Indigenous women and girls, for example. So the AFN mm. is useful for delivering programs and advocating for issues politically with the government of Canada, but is not useful for talking about rights and individual First Nations interests. And so there's always a tension there of what does the AFN really do and... and Recently, what's happened is that the AFN gets a great deal of money from the, the liberal Trudeau government, the current mm-hmm. government, because uh, Perry Bellegarde, who is a fairly well-known liberal, uh, was able to advocate for exponential radical increase of program funding for the AFN, which then and, resulted and Perry, in millions sorry, of dollars. I just dollars want to say
0: Perry Bellegarde was, of course, the former national chief of the AFN there.
2: Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So he was the former national chief. And um, with this radical increase in programming funding, there there became an issue in the AFN of a great deal of individuals who became involved with the AFN who were making a lot of money. And that's what Ro- Roseanne Archibald, the new national chief, just voted in about a year ago, began to unveil light to or, or shed light to to say that these programming dollars and also uh, administrative dollars were going missing or not being accounted for and so uh, that's what brought forth the the notion that she brought up publicly at a meeting with the federation in Ontario with chiefs saying there were four employees that wanted a million dollar payout she refused to do that. She was then suspended by the executive council, the regional chiefs because she shared that publicly. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be claimed to be a human resource issue.
0: Okay, so this is kind of part of the dispute that's happening there. I just want to kind of go back to this relationship with the federal government for a sec here because you said you know a big part of the AFN's operations really have to do with the federal government. Typically, I guess, typically, what sort of relationship does the organization have have with the federal government?
2: It's always a tension. Uh, there is always a tension for the national chief. You're either too close to the federal government. That's accusations um, often made against Phil Fontaine, for example, back in the day with uh, Jean Chrétien and same thing mm-hmm. with Perry Bellegarde. You're either too close or you're too far. And so the case of Sean Atleo, uh, under the reign of Stephen Harper, Stephen Harper just pretended like the national chief didn't exist half the time, didn't even meet with him barely for the uh, duration of Stephen Harper's years in office. What you see then is a radical decrease in program dollars for the AFN. And then, of course, administrative dollars, because the AFN becomes less useful for the chiefs because they have no uh, audience with the federal government. So what can they advocate for? What can they lobby for? Mm
0: -hmm. You've said in the past that the AFN at this point in time has is, is kind of lost its way a bit. Can, can you just elaborate? What what do you mean by that?
2: On day two of the uh, AFN annual general assembly meetings in Vancouver, uh, the National Youth Council chairperson spoke and, and what she said was very damning for what the AFN become. What she said was is that everybody stayed for the portion on day one involving the suspension of the National Chief, but then as soon as that meeting or that portion of the meeting was done, there were two important conversations. One was around uh, the loss of a young man uh, and the raising of money for that young man, the awareness of the loss of life of a young First Nations boy, And then the second is the discussions around the current emergency situations in uh, Treaty Three territories involving young Indigenous peoples. And uh, none of the chiefs or very few of the chiefs remain for that portion of the meeting. That, I think, is evidence of where the AFN is at the moment in that it's really ensconced in this political battle between the regional chiefs and the national chief over power. And it's not talking about or not present for uh, the issues of youth, the issues of suicide, the issues of trauma and crisis that are going on in First Nations. Now, it's it's hard to make a blanket statement on, you know, there's many chiefs who are spending their entire lives working hard for their communities. Every single chief in this country is dedicated to their community. I don't care who they are. If you are a chief of your community, it's a 24-7 job, harder than any prime minister job. And so uh, it's not that I'm disrespecting what chiefs are doing. I would just say that when the chiefs get together, it seems to be at the moment uh, focused a lot on power control. Because I think the AFN doesn't have an identity any longer. It doesn't have an identity in the ways in which it did. And even the 1990s, in the 1990s, everyone was talking about, Uh, trying to advocate for residential school survivors and you know that led to the TRC but since the advocation for the TRC the the AFN's really uh, become a whole litany of issues all at the same time and really doesn't have a singular issue because like I said before it can't advocate for Aboriginal or Indigenous and treaty rights because it doesn't hold those rights so that's most of the issues that Indigenous peoples have with Canada which is trying to fight for their land, fight for their protection of their territories, the caribou the bears, the, the water, and then of course on top of that, try to rectify this incredible violence and genocide that's taking place, resulting in youth suicide or murder, missing Indigenous women and girls. And so the AFN hasn't been able to just capture a particular issue or catch capture a particular vision. And subsequent AFN national chiefs Sean Atleo, Perry Bellegarde, Roseanne Archibald, none of them have been able to get the entirety of the AFN on their side for their vision.
0: Let's come back to, to Roseanne Archibald, then, since, since we're talking about her. Several people outside of the meetings were, were criticizing what they described as kind of a, a patriarchy within the AFN. Uh, she's, of course, the first female national chief that, we, that the AFN has had. What role do you think, uh, if any, that sexism is, is playing in, in this situation?
2: During the conversation around the continuation of the resolution suggesting that she should be continued to be suspended, uh, there was a young male chief, a young man who came up to speak, and I can't remember his name, uh, but he said and announced to great applause, That no male national chief would have been treated this way. Now we have to remember that there are women who are regional chiefs who led that suspension of Roseanne Archibald. So Mm -hmm. this isn't just an issue around a woman-man issue, but what I would say is that there is a long history in the AFN of being very male dominated and you just have to look at the numbers for that. You know 80 to 90 percent of chiefs and communities are male. Why is that though? That is because of Canada's historical policies, which have favored males and taken away the rights of females. And that we've had that imposed upon us, even in residential school, where genders were separated and males were favored over females. Even the violence that took place in communities involving a, a status that if a woman married a non-Indigenous man, she would lose her rights. Absolutely. There is a long history of favoring men over women that Canada has imposed. And we should not be surprised when it appears on the grounds or on the floor of the AFN.
0: Hmm. The situation that we saw this week at, at the annual General Assembly Nigan, what do you think this means for the AFN and, and its credibility on the national stage?
2: Most First Nations people don't care what happens at the AFN. Mm. And it's because the AFN doesn't represent everyday First Nations people. Uh, They represent chiefs, right? And so uh, the AFN can all day say that they represent First Nations people, but they really don't. They represent chiefs' voices. Uh, I would say chiefs who are at those meetings do represent their communities in some measure. So... In terms of the credibility of the AFN, it doesn't have a lot of credibility amongst everyday First Nations people because First Nations people don't participate in the everyday life of the organization or vote for the national chief or, if anything, they might occasionally experience a benefit from a programming dollar or two. I would say that the credibility issue that AFN has is with the chiefs or with the Canadian public. Because I think that the Canadian public this week has seen a lot of what they have imagined to be the stereotypes that they've been taught in schools, that uh, Indigenous chiefs are corrupt in some way. And and like I hope that I've pointed out on this podcast that chiefs are not corrupt. There is the occasional corrupt chief, but chiefs are not corrupt. They're often under-resourced and have challenges with human resources. They have challenges with exponential amount of demands and a lack of resources. And at the same time, I think the chiefs in the organization, evidenced by the fact that they stayed for the fight, but they didn't stay for the issues in the agenda of dealing with youth suicide and crisis and trauma, Shows you that I think the chiefs have lost credibility in seeing the AFN as a venue in which they can deal with the issues affecting their communities.
0: Yeah. Some of the chiefs at the AFN spoke out on, on Tuesday saying that they didn't want the situation with Roseanne Archibald to, to overshadow the work that they're doing. So why should people in Canada, I guess, pay attention to, to the AFN beyond, beyond this current situation look, to look at the work that's, that's happening beyond this?
2: Part of this is a media problem, and what I mean by that is, uh, with due respect to yourself and The Globe, and, you know, I work for a newspaper, the Winnipeg Free Press, and I also work for CBC, all of those agencies, frankly, don't care about First Nations issues until it's a crisis. The only media agency that cares about, for instance, what Indigenous peoples are actually doing, as opposed to reacting to a water crisis or reacting to a pipeline, or is APTN. And what we saw this week is the critical importance of APTN, because what APTN has been doing for weeks leading to this has been giving context to what the battle has included. But then most importantly, reporting on the agenda, reporting on what actually the AFN is supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. We should all be paying attention a little bit more and working like how APTN is working in the national media agencies.
0: Mm -hmm. Those are important points and fair criticism too of, of traditional media for sure. That's that's something that we should definitely be thinking more about. But before I let you go, Nigan, I I guess I wanna ask if you know, if the AFN does have a credibility issue, as you say, if it's not working as it as it should be, frankly, what's what's the alternative? What sort of representation should there be?
2: Uh, So National Chief Archibald, um, just before the vote on whether to continue her suspension or not, said some pretty important words and um, it got me thinking a lot.
1: I want to tell you that Buckminster Fuller said you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. That's our path forward. We need a new model.
2: And that's really what the AFN is facing. Can it come up with a new model of governance that doesn't just involve uh, what is a very distance and disjunctive system of power, and so, um, you know, bipolar in the ways that it it tries to operate, because it's it's not operating with a similar vision. Uh, We don't need all First Nations to come to a singular vision, and maybe that's the point. It seems to me that that most of First Nations' interests at the moment are regional interests. They involve resources. They involve boil water advisories. They involve the way certain provinces are incredibly violent with First Nations. And so maybe mm. the point is that the AFN has outlived its usefulness because there really is no reason at the moment to have a singular Indigenous First Nations vision uh, in Canada.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting point, actually. Nikon, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today.
2: Yeah, miigwech. Thanks so much for having me.
0: That's it for today. I'm Mainika Raman wilms Our summer producer is Zara Kozema. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.